0: I am starting a new sermon series today, uh, and I will be on it for the next five weeks, and so i ask you to pray, pray for it, ask God to really move it in our hearts, uh, and it's, it's called Lessons from Genesis, uh, and we will go back to the beginning of time, to the Garden of Eden, uh, and see what God has for us. You know, so much of what we live with today, all the sin and errors that we live with today, in this world, began at the Garden of Eden. Uh, And so it's important for us to study and to see the failings of humanity, how we walked away from God at the very beginning, uh, and the repercussions of that. Uh, You know, this is our worldview, okay? This is our worldview. God is in charge. Man has fallen. Only through Christ Jesus will we be saved. Uh, And so that's the message for a lost world. And so the third chapter in Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, is one of the most important uh, chapters in the entire Bible in all of the word of God because it becomes the very seed plot of the Bible, you see. So much of the cardinal doctrines of our faith are predicated on that very beginning. Uh, And here we learn about the subtle devices of Satan, how he works, uh, and we find the divine explanation for the fall of man. We see why death has entered into this world. Uh, And so we also discover the spiritual effects of sin, where man falls away from God. Uh, And we also find the attitude of God toward the guilty sinner. Uh, We also find the universal tendency of humanity to cover its own moral shame. And in the end, and in the end, we learn that man cannot approach God except through a mediator. And so as we study the events of the Garden of Eden, uh, the divine record of the fall of man uh, is in Uh, unequivocal refutation of the Darwinian hypothesis of evolution. Did you get that? (laughs) Because I hope you did. There's a quiz at the end of church. All right? And so instead of teaching, as Darwin, Darwin did, that man started out at the bottom in the muck and mire and slowly raised himself up to where we are today. Instead... The Bible shows us unequivocally that man started at the top, that he never had it as good. He was in a veritable heaven. Everything that he needed was there, and there was no death. And he fell. You understand? And that's where we are today. And so we learn that man has been tested from the very beginning, from the very best end, he was found wanting. Uh, the, the first humans were placed in the most incredible, uh, imaginable conditions. Uh, and when we see it, there will never be a better environment for man than there was there. Effectively, God brought heaven uh, down to earth and gave man everything that he would need. Now, God placed a single restriction on man in the Garden of Eden. You know, man is a responsible being. Uh, he's responsible to serve and obey and worship his Maker. Man is not an independent creature. Now, this is a surprise for most of the world uh, because they think they, they're their own creatures and they have independence, but we do not. We are bound to worship our Maker and we owe a debt. To our our Creator. And this is the great lesson that God brings to our heart when we study uh, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, and you see there in that verse, but, there, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. That was it. How about that? That was it. It's all yours. It's all yours to enjoy. You will walk with me, said God. You will never experience death. Just don't eat of this tree. It reminds me of when you go out to a restaurant. And the waiter comes. And the plates are boiling hot. And he puts the plate down in front of you. And what does he say? Don't touch it. And what do most of us do? How hot is that? <laughs> is it really as hot as he said it is? You understand the human condition, the way our minds are. How hot is it? Right there in the Garden of Eden, you see the veritable failure of man. Uh, th- there was no other reason why the fruit of that tree should not have been eaten but for the edict of God. Uh, and ha- however, rather than obey the command of God, Uh, Humanity became self-serving, self-centered, self-willed, disobeyed, and fell. There it is. You got that? You take that forward thousands of years today, and it is no different. We are still self-centered, self-seeking, self-willed, and disobedient to our creator. Now, it's an important lesson for us Uh, today to study the fall, to understand what God is speaking to us today, the lessons that he has for us today. And the first thing you see there as you study this is that the voice of Satan was heeded. Instead of saying, get thee behind me, Satan, all right, as Jesus did, Eve quietly listened uh, to his enticing words uh, and didn't didn't challenge him in any way. Next you see, Satan tampers with the word of God. You think that's going on today? Tampering with the word of God? When all you see in television and even in pulpits, uh, human philosophy, reasoning, no, you can't take the Bible word for word. Don't go with that. Cultural things change. No, that's not a sin anymore. And we redefine And redefine the word of God. Well, guess what? It started in the Garden of Eden. Uh, And so what you see there, Eve begins by adding to what God had said. She says there, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. That's what she told Satan. Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Well, God didn't tell her not to touch it. It had nothing to do with the touching. And the last clause that she said there uh, was her own invention. Look at Proverbs 30, verse 6. And this is a warning to us about redefining the word of God. It speaks clearly about changing the word of God. And it says there, do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. And so there you have the antidote to our current cultural determinations about morality and about spirituality. Do not redefine or change the words of God. Do not change what God has clearly said. Uh, And so how much of this resonates really, even today, as people change and reinterpret the word of God to suit their own needs? You know, you get to the point when you hear these things after a while that nothing's a sin, Nothing's a sin, and you see it in pulpit after pulpit and denomination after denomination. It's a warning to us that God calls us to seriously understanding his words. God's enemies do the same thing today. They alter or add or or amend uh, his words. Uh, And so in in the garden, the forbidden fruit is now looked upon, desired, uh, taken, and eaten. Uh, and given to her husband. You see that. Uh, And the divine record of the fall of man is the only possible explanation for the human condition that surrounds this world today. It alone accounts for the presence of evil in a world made by a beneficent uh, and perfect creator. If you want to understand why we are surrounded by the evil that we have, just go back to the beginning of the Bible. Go back to the Garden of Eden. It makes it very clear to us that our spiritual DNA was altered forever as a result of the fall. Look at Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, Because all sinned right from the very beginning. It came through from Eve to Adam and sin entered the world and our DNA was changed forever and death would become a part of our world. Now, here also, you see, for the first time in Scripture, we meet with the devil. How about that? It's the first time. Uh, He is introduced without a word, of introduction, explaining his previous history. We don't know anything about him there in that third chapter. Uh, For our knowledge of his creation, we need to look at his pre-Adamic existence uh, and his fall uh, from heaven. And the Bible speaks about that. Look, if you would, to Isaiah 14, verse 12 on the board. How you have fallen from heaven Morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise myself up. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend Above the tops of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High, but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Understand something. There was no greater creative being, created being, than Satan himself. He was in charge of praise and worship in heaven. The Bible tells us that he was an incredible musician amongst many other talents that he had. Uh, and he was—he had everything going from him, except he was not God. And clearly, he was jealous of Jesus Christ, all right? And he aspired to raise himself, to be like God. I will, I can. It's the very nature of humanity and narcissism, don't you? Me, me, I, I, you see where it comes from. But then he was thrown out of heaven. He was thrown out of heaven in an angelic vault, and one-third of the angelic force was thrown out with him. And where were they thrown? To this planet, to this planet. And this became his world, and it's still his world. He has authority in this world, and that's why we need to study these lessons that God has given us. And so here's the thing. The chief aim, the chief aim of Satan... Uh, is to get between your soul and God. He wants to estrange you from the creator. Here's the deal. You're saved. He can't take you out of the hand of God, but he can take you out of ministry. He can take you from being a soldier of God. He can take you from advancing the kingdom of God. He can take you from a center position and move you to the sidelines, and that pleases him very much. Uh, And you have to understand that that's his work. His work, you see, consists of substituting uh, his own lies in the place of divine truth. That's what he does. Genesis 3 gives us a sample of how he does this. Uh, And and these things are written for our edification. You know, we do these. We study this. We preach these messages, not merely to give you uh, intellectual titillation, we do it so that your spirit is fed and you're prepared so that when you leave here, you understand exactly how Satan works. What, is, what does he do, first of all? He, div- he begins by throwing doubt on the word of God. He questions its veracity. He suggests that God did not mean really what the words seemed to say he means. Look at Genesis three verses 4 to 5, as you see him working in perfection. Here he speaks to Eve. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He substitutes his own words for God's words. And the sad truth is that today, uh, in this world, while men refuse to believe the clear and unmitigated word of God, Instead, they are sufficiently open to believe the words of Satan as lies. They believe it, even though God's words are clear. Finally, he, he dares to cast uh, a comment on the very goodness of God. Satan suggests here that God was withholding something from man that would be advantageous, and he presents it as his bait. Can you imagine the God who created you, who loved you, who put you in the Garden of Eden forever, would hold anything back from you, and it's the same today. God wouldn't give you anything that wouldn't absolutely be to your benefit. And so we see here from the very beginning the working of Satan, and that is the same today. He works in man's hearts, and the change he brings brings about a transformation in us, and it changes our outer life. Uh, and what you see is that once they fell, they suddenly realized their shame. After they fell, they realized their shame. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them, that's Adam and Eve, were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Well, as soon as Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden truth, their eyes were opened to see the nature of how they lived. They saw that they were naked. Uh, Now, this moral instinct uh, that is evident in man uh, is now common to human nature. It's a conscience, okay? It's a conscience. And even people that are not saved are still buried with a conscience. Uh, It is the witness to your fallen and sinful nature, uh, understand that this conscience, you see, is the working of God to make you know you're out of the will of God. You are immoral. You are sinful uh, in every way. It is not the working of man. Man didn't create the conscience, but God did. And so conscience, conscience is the still, small voice of God. Uh, Within the soul testifying uh, to who God is and the fact that man is not his own master, but responsible to a higher moral authority. And so having become conscious of their shame, Adam and Eve seek to hide it by making aprons out of fig leaves. Instead of seeking God and openly confessing their sin, they attempt to conceal it from God to hide from God, as if anybody can hide from God. This is the way of natural man. The last thing that the natural man does is confess his sin to a holy God. Uh, man attempts to shelter his guilt behind his own self-righteousness. And he believes that his good works will more than counter his evil ones. Isn't that what you hear? Good works. And so what do we see? Church-going exercises. Philanthropy and altruism are the very fig leaves of today, which many are using to cover their own spiritual shame. Let me put it to you this this way. I don't care how often you go to church. uh, I don't care how much money you give away to God. If you don't confess your sin to God and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're lost. Understand this? There's no amount of good works that will be your fig leaves. You understand this? And you can't hide from God. These self-manufactured fig leaves did not remove the sin from Adam and Eve. Did not remove their shame in any way. And so when they heard the voice of God... They hid themselves from him. Now, I want you to think about how incredible this is. They are walking with God. He's there with them. And so now they're hiding from God. Uh, And so how typical of how man works. Uh, We have some conception of the moral distance between us and our creator. Uh, He was holy. They were sinful. Uh, And consequently, they were afraid of him. Uh, and they sought to hide themselves from him. This is why, even today, uh, people will offer so many exclu- uh, excuses to come to terms with their sin and God. The last thing we do is confess. We come up with excuses it's our environment, it's our family, it's our condition, it's my character. But no, it's never my sin. You understand? It's never my sin. And so when God sought out Adam and brought him face to face with his guilt, he was given an opportunity to confess. Look at Genesis 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cooler day, and they hid from the Lord God among trees of the garden. Can you imagine you're going to hide from God? Good luck on that. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Do you think he knew where he was? (laughs) And that sentence resonates to us today. God says to you today, Where are you? Where are you? Where do you stand? Where is your spiritual responsibility? Where are you? Uh, and, And... He answered, I hurt you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? Now, is there anyone here that thinks God didn't know what he did? You understand. But he's giving him a chance. You understand? He's giving him a chance to confess. Uh, This was a time for man to confess his sin from God. And I submit to you that if Adam Adam bowed and confessed, that the history of the world would be completely different. You understand? Sin didn't have to come in that way. But he didn't confess. He didn't ask God to forgive him. Uh, This was his time to do it. Uh, And rather, he deflected his action to that of Eve. I love this. Is it any different today? Uh, my wife made me do it. What a great guy. My wife made me do it. Uh, and so God's question to Adam, really, his question to Adam still resonates to us today. And he asked this question Where are you? Where do you stand? Are you with me? Have you bowed to me? Have you loved me? Do you love my son? Uh, It was not Adam who sought God, understand, but God who sought Adam right there in the garden. And Paul identified this trait in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, where it says, there is none that seeketh after God. Oh, wow. What a a poor sense of humanity we are. It was Christ who sought out the apostles while while they were engaged in fishing. It was Christ who came to seek and save the lost. Uh, it is the shepherd who seeks the sheep and not the sheep that seek the shepherd. And that's the chance that God gives us to come to faith and salvation. And so in the garden, we also see the veritable mercy of God combined with his judgment. All right. Because he just doesn't dump judgment down on him, but he gives them a chance to understand that there will be mercy in their future. And so before God acted in judgment, before they were barred from the Garden of Eden, uh, he acted in mercy and made this prophetic statement uh, outlined in Genesis 3, verse 15, possibly one of the most important verses uh, in the Bible, certainly in prophecy. And God says there, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, he's talking now to say, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. What an amazing statement that is. In this perfect statement from God, he announces that one will come to this world who will give mankind hope and who will ultimately defeat Satan. Interestingly, by woman, the curse had come through, but by woman, ultimately, the world would be saved as Jesus Christ would come through her seed. She would be the one through Jesus Christ who would actually remove the curse. And so here we have the beginning and the foundation of all prophecy, right there at the beginning of the Bible. Three things should be noted carefully here as you study this and reflect on it. First, there would be enmity between Satan and the woman. And here the woman represents Israel. And you know that from Revelation. It was clear Uh, that when the woman is spoken of there, it's Israel. Uh, And so this is the woman of Revelation chapter 12. The children of Israel were, were the appointed channel by which the Messiah was to come. And as a result, what you would see there, he would be the object of Satan's continued enmity and assault. Satan wants to destroy Israel because God called Israel to be the evangelical messengers of his word. Right from the beginning right from the beginning, and in fact, even to today. Second, two seeds are referred here in the scripture. Two seeds, thy seed, meaning Satan's, and her seed, meaning Eve. One seed is Satan's seed, while the other is the woman's seed, Jesus Christ. Satan's seed is the Antichrist. Make no mistake about it. Okay, make no mistake about it. In these two persons, all of prophecy converge right to the end of time. The Antichrist will be the man of sin and the son of perdition, literally the seed of the serpent, the seed of Satan. And our Lord is the son of man and the son of God, all wrapped in one person. And so here you see it identified right here at the very beginning. Here we have the very first announcement, prophetically, concerning the supernatural birth of our Savior. Uh, It was prophetically foretold uh, that he would enter the world in a unique manner, meaning he would come as a seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, which is mentioned everywhere else in the Bible, but here the seed of the woman, her seed, not the man's seed. Uh, This would be uh, an incredible Creation by God Himself through the Holy Spirit, who who would impregnate the woman. And this, you know, was literally foretold at the manger, uh, incredibly. And now you also see the third aspect of this marvelous prophecy discussing a double bruising. The woman's seed shall bruise the serpent's head, and the serpent would bruise his heel. Now, this prophecy has already been fulfilled. Uh, The bruising of the woman's heel, you see, is a symbolic reference to the sufferings of Jesus, especially at the cross, who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, as the Bible says. The bruising of the serpent's head will take place when the Lord returns to this world, uh, and Satan will be bound and tied up in the great abyss for a thousand years. Uh, Look at Revelation 20, verse 2. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him uh, into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. But he will be destroyed at the end. Now, this is the very climax of this scenario. God drives man uh, and places him out of the garden and puts cherubim to keep man from being able to come back, flaming swords to keep him from coming back. Uh, And look at Genesis 3, verse 24. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Look, God acted in mercy he didn't destroy man, but instead brought him out of the Garden of Edom and gave him a second chance. Uh, and what you see here, providing a covering for his shame uh, as he put, covered him with, with animal skins. The moral significance of this passage, you see, is profound. It is impossible for us to remain in a holy place. We cannot. We are not holy. Uh, and, uh, and we cannot continue to have fellowship with God if we are in sin. Uh, It's clear. God is holy, and that which he is cannot stand to be next to us. Uh, There is a separation. Only when we attach ourselves to the body of Christ can we then be with God. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen. Make no mistake. The barring of the way to the tree of life illustrates an important spiritual truth for us. Uh, The tree seems to have been a symbol of the divine will. And represents the moral distance that man has from God. The sinner has no such access to God without a mediator. Without Jesus Christ, you cannot be connected to God. And now, because the shepherd was struck, was struck in the paradise of God now, we shall eat of that fruit and be a part of that tree and be a part of the kingdom of God because of what Jesus did. On the cross. And so you see the ultimate condescension of God reaching down to earth and giving us a blessing that we never thought we would ever see, never get uh, in in this powerful way. No sermon on Genesis chapter 3 would be complete without meditating upon it with the Lord Jesus in our hearts. Uh, And several passages in the Word link Adam and Christ together and contrast them. Yes, Adam was the first man but he failed miserably. Uh, and there's a, second, a critical difference. Christ comes and rescues us from the fall brought by Adam. Call, Christ reverses the effects of the fall and brings Christians to a perfect way of life. Look, Christ vindicated the truth of God. Uh, when temp, sent, uh, Satan tempted uh, to doubt God's goodness, to question his truth and repudiate his majesty, Christ answered each time it is written. You understand that? It is written. And so understand this, that you need to go back to the word of God, to rely on the word of God, to cite the word of God, to cite it in its purity. When selecting the 12 apostles, uh, he purposely chose Judas uh, in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled. That he would be betrayed. When censuring his critics, uh, he declared that by their traditions, and that was the Pharisee, they ignored the veritable word of God. After he had risen from the dead and was journeying with the two disciples to Emmaus, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures concerning him. At every point and every detail of his life, he honored and magnified God's word. Look, folks. Uh, Let's understand the practical of this message uh, as you understand that Adam and Eve betrayed their creator. Uh, They ignored his loving protection. Uh, They chose their own way of thinking uh, and became an enemy of God. They had no faith uh, in the goodness of God and instead relied on the lies of Satan. Everything we know about sin to this day, can be traced back to the Garden of Eden. Born to God, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we bow in confession before him, can we be reborn and become the very children of God that God intended for you to be when he placed you originally in the Garden of Eden. Amen, church. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for the message that you've given us, the clarity of understanding how sin came into this world, the understanding of how all of the things that we see today permeates from this evil event lord i ask you to strengthen our people to reject the wiles of satan to take your pure and unadulterated word and accept it and understand that you love us and protect us and want nothing but good from us help us lord to walk with you to reject evil in every way to walk with you in every way to attach ourselves to the body of christ and to leave here empowered to say get thee behind me satan Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.